You are listening to the LifePoint Church Sermon of the Week. For more resources, visit us at lifepoint.cc. I will tell you, I'm from Nebraska, and I'd just like you to not hold that against me, okay? Uh, I, I know that probably you've said bad things about Nebraskans, just like I've said bad things about Iowans, okay? Uh, but we're going to forgive and forget right now, okay? Uh, my wife is from South Dakota, and, uh, and so we never would have guessed or ever would have pointed at a map and said, we're going to go live in Arkansas, but God brought us to Arkansas, and it was called the Lord that brought us there. And, and I went there with hopes, for sure, hopes and expectations, dreams, visions of what God wanted to do, what he could do. And my what if was filled with awe and wonder of, God, what if? What if you would do this? What if you would do that? And, and I got to tell you, in the 23 years, I guess 23 years that we've been in Arkansas now, ministering on the university campus, God has exceeded every one of my what ifs. I exceeded them. Yeah, It's amazing to think about it. Actually, I was just sent some, uh, a spreadsheet just a couple days ago that was from, from one of the, the women that's, that was actually saved through the ministry and now has been on staff for like 20 years. And uh, she sent me this spreadsheet of interns. And in Kaiafa, we have this postgraduate internship that is, it's about, it's about reproducing missionaries, really. And, uh, and over, the last, over the last 15 years, I think the spreadsheet said we've had 196 interns. 196 full-time missionaries raised up and sent out. That's from a secular university. That's not a Bible college. Out of a secular university in the middle of nowhere, Arkansas, a move of God has happened that is changing the globe. And it's not because, I'm, please don't hear this, it's because I'm special, it's because God's really special. And God loves to take nobody's from nowhere, from Nebraska, right? Uh, and he likes to do things in nowhere places. And whether that's in Conway, Arkansas, or whether that's Ames, Iowa, God can look down and just say, if these people will just be willing, willing to hope and then willing to obey, then I will be with them. And if they will get them, uh, their eyes off of themselves and see what I have for them, then, and to dream and to participate with me in that dream, then I will come and I will do Actually, the word says exceedingly above whatever they could even ask or think or even imagine. That's what God wants to do. And part of this is we have to then reclaim our imaginations. If we're going to be imagining something or God's going to do something beyond our imagination, we probably need to reclaim our imaginations. And what I believe is, is that if we look across America right now, we look across the Western church, we're losing. We're losing. And I think we have to be honest about that. that if we, I look at where we are as a culture right now in comparison to where we were 30 years ago, and I'm 49 years old, and so I'm kind of in that, I, I still like to think of myself as young, but then I look at the, you know, I look in the mirror and I'm like, wait. Uh, and so I'm 49, and so some of you guys are like, yeah, you're real old, and others of you are like, why are you still young? And, and I appreciate the second crew. <laughs> but I look back on, on 30 years of, 
of observation and we're losing. We've got an aging minister's population. We don't really have a growing church population. We're not reproducing leaders. We're not really reproducing churches. We're losing the schools. We're losing the culture. And until we will open up our eyes and see that we're losing, then we will never win. And, and here's the deal. I realize that none of us are winners on our own, right? And this is where we start off. We're all losers, okay? Uh, and if you think you're a winner, you're just wrong. Uh, because you were born into losing. But our God is a winner. Jesus is a winner. In fact, he's undefeated. In fact, on his thigh, he has tattooed the fact that he's a winner. Did you know that? It says king of kings and lord of all lords. And so he's a winner. And what Peter says is he says, we have what we were waiting for. The living hope. We have what we were waiting for, the living hope. And in that, there is no, it doesn't matter what culture you find yourself in, whether it's Roman or American, and it doesn't matter how dark it is in the world around you, there is a light that will drive out that darkness. There's a cultural change that God will bring through his people if they remember that they are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God. And Peter says, once you were not a people, but now you are a people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. And in that, you can change any culture. And we're meant to be winners because we are meant to get on the right side. And we've got a quick saying to God, will you please bless what we're doing, God? Bless what we're doing, God. Would you get on our side, God? And just say, God, what is your side? I want to get on that side. And then, because you have the winning side. You have all the power and authority over heaven and earth, and so I just want to get on your side. Are you with me? It was uh, maybe, let's go with eight years ago, about right at this time of year. And uh, we were having a fall retreat down in Arkansas. And uh, on Saturday, sorry, yeah, Saturday night, the speaker was saying, hey, why don't we just take time to just... Just hope, just imagine for what God wants to do in, on your campus. Now, not on you or in you, which is where we can't be so self-focused. We're always just looking at ourselves. We call that navel-gazing, where we come from. It's like you're just constantly looking at yourself. Oh, God, fix me, fix me, fix me, fix us. It's like we got to lift up our eyes and look into the fields, right? They're widened to harvest. Look into the hills. That's where your help comes from. Get your eyes off yourself for a little bit. And so we were doing that, and we were just imagining together, like, God, what do you want to do? And so people, a few people started to speak up and, and, uh, and, and pray out prayers for the campus. And, and there was, there was a, a young, young lady by the name of Holly that, that spoke up, and, and she said, uh, she said, I just felt like the Lord said he wants to open blind eyes uh, at, the, at UALR, at University of Arkansas, Little Rock. And, uh, and so she was like, I, I just began to pray and I just pray, God, would you open the spiritual eyes of, UAL, of students at UALR? And then she said, I felt like God corrected me and said, I didn't say spiritual eyes. I said, I want to open blind eyes, physical eyes. And she's like, okay. 
and so, so she prayed into that, and then she went over and talked to Cody. Cody was the campus director at, at UALR, and uh, I met Cody as a freshman at UCA, and now he was directing, directing a, another, another ministry. And so she went over to him, and she's like, Cody, you know, like I was imagining, hoping, and, and this is what I felt like the Lord spoke, because he wants to open blind eyes. And Cody was like, oh, okay, well, thank you, Lord. Uh, let it be. And, and Cody didn't even think that they brought a blind girl with her, with them on that, on that fall retreat. It was like, he didn't even think about it at the moment. He just told me later, he's like, I don't know why, like I didn't straight go to that, but, but he didn't think about that. He was just like, okay, God, like, let it be if this is what you want to do. But there was a, a girl by the name of Kara that was there at that retreat. And, and that night after service, or kind of service closing, I guess, uh, there was a group of students that gathered around Kara and just began to pray for her and just pray for her eyes to be healed. And at that point, she had lived 19 years in blackness, utter darkness. And I can't really even begin to imagine what that must be like. Like, not just the, the limitation of movement or the limitation of perception, but even just the absence of, of light coming into you. I mean, can you imagine? 19 years like that. And as the students begin to gather around her and pray for her, she was like, hang on just a second. I see spots of light. Just spots of light. But her, she was filled with joy and with hope, like that, that there was just a glimpse of light that was coming in. So it was the next day on, on Sunday, we were out in this uh, creek that's on the campground there, and, uh, and the, the banks were, were flooded with college students that you know, were sleep deprived but full of the Holy Spirit, you know what I mean? Like they were like, they were, they were bleary eyed but their, their hearts were full, okay? And, uh, and one by one, students were coming into the water to be water baptized, and, and so we were kind of going through and and baptizing one after another. And that's such a beautiful thing. Even at the retreat, there were quite a few students water baptized. And that, that's a wonderful, wonderful thing. And so one by one, I'm out in the water and, and we're baptizing student after student. And at one point, uh, all of a sudden, I see kind of this ruckus kind of going on on the, one of the banks. And, and people are like kind of scurrying away and they're like pointing and yelling and stuff like that. And there's a snake that's coming out into the water and coming towards us, right? And I'm like, I'm like, all right, and probably will go away. And then it just keeps on kind of coming towards me. And so I pick up a rock out of the bottom of the creek and I just throw it at it. And first shot, hit it straight in the back, broke its back. I mean, I was like, and I'm feeling good, right? Like I'm feeling real good. And, and so, you know, it, it, whether it was an act of the spirit or an act of bravado, I'm not sure, okay? But I picked it up and I put it on a stone and I crushed its head, okay? And I was like, I was, and I said something to the effect of, like this is what God wants to do with every scheme of the enemy, right? I don't know exactly what I said, but I was feeling myself, okay? <laughs> and, then, and then just after that, Kara stepped into the water with her discipleship group around her. She came out and she was, you know, like being supported and she was feeling her way out there and, and she began to share that she's found a place in community. She's found people that love her and that their love for her has made her want to love Jesus. 
and love Jesus in a way that she's ready to give the rest of her life and everything that she has and all that she is, she's ready to give that to Jesus and to his work. And whatever he wants for her, that's what she wants. And, and she was like, and I just love these girls around me so much. And even last night, like there were more people that were around me and like I could just feel their presence around me and it was like this love and it was the ministry of God happening to me. And so she's proclaiming this and she's saying, really, it was the love that was showed through this community that's loved me to Jesus. And she's like, so I want to get baptized today to proclaim that. And so with her discipleship group around her, that was, it was really like a baptism by committee, okay? It was like they were all around her and, and they're all, you know, want to have a hand involved. And, and really, it, probably their creek wasn't quite deep enough to be baptizing people. So, you know, it was like they had to go real far back. And, and so Kara is like a little bit apprehensive. And so she starts to go back and, and I'm trying to push her down and all the girls are trying to support her. And I'm just like, I'm, it's in a fight, you know? Like I'm trying to get her underwater. And, and, and they're trying to lift her up. And so she goes back and, and we come back up. But, but I saw when she went down, and, and this was so clear to me at the moment, that everything but her eyes went underneath the water. It was like she kind of tipped her head forward. It was just like, it was just this ring of water and this was the dry part. At first I thought, ah, oh, no big deal, it's fine, you know? It's not like God's like, oh, you didn't get your eyes wet. I'm not, you're not really saved, you know? Like uh, that was the first thought, you know? But then I, I heard the Lord speak to me through his Holy Spirit and say, no, that's significant. And you need to baptize her again. And as you baptize her again, I'm gonna heal her eyes. And so I spoke up and I said, hey, this was great and we're celebrating together, but her eyes didn't go underneath the water and this is what I believe that the Lord wants to say. And I stepped out in faith. I stepped out in expectation. I stepped out in imagination. I said, what if God, what if we did this again and then you were faithful to what you said in your word? That you want to open the eyes of the blind. And so we dunked her again and she came up out of the water and she starts going like this. She's like, she's like, hang on a second. And then she starts messing with her ears and she's like, just a second. And she, she's looking at these faces of her, the girls in her D group that are like right in front of her. And, and she's like, and I can see like her eyes, like, you know how a lot of blind people, their eyes kind of tip back in their head and I can watch her eyes. Like they are like going, like they're like coming to focus, right? And actually they're, they're like getting color in them. Like her eyes before that, they were so dark and like, and, and her irises were brightening, okay? Like I'm watching, like I'm, you know, like you're baptizing somebody, you're right next to him. I'm watching it happen and she says, she says, I see your faces, but I don't know colors. Like that's what she said. I see your faces, but I don't know colors. Now she couldn't see 2020 at that point, okay? Just like the night before, all she could see was bright spots. But God was opening up her eyes and she began to proclaim like, no, I can see, I can see. Now, she was driving home from that retreat, actually, correction. Uh, <laughs> she was riding home, okay? She was riding home with some of the girls that she had came there with. And we were at this campground down in Hot Springs, Arkansas. It's a beautiful area around there. And so they're driving back and she's looking out the window and she's like, so are we in the forest? 
because I see shapes out there. Are those trees? And they were like, yeah, Kara, those are trees. Can you imagine? Like for the first time, not just seeing light, but having perception of something that had only been to described to you. Only described to you, but never really seen. And then it's like, oh, is that what that is? Is that what that really is? And then even as they started getting close to Little Rock and the Ben and Brian area, she's just looking out the window and she's like, so I, I'm assuming we're coming into the city now because I see these other shapes and, and those are buildings. And is that what that is? And they're like, yeah, that's buildings. We're coming into the city. Can you imagine the world of discovery that Kara experienced in the days that followed that? What she'd only had described to her but never seen and now she is perceiving and she's getting to interact with it. Can you imagine? Now I talked to Kara a few weeks after that and I was asking her like, how's the seeing world? And, and again, she, she, it wasn't like she had 20-20 vision, okay? Uh, but I was like, how is the seeing world? And she said, well, first off, my, my dad told me I need to keep my cane with me all the time. And I told him, dad, I don't need my cane anymore. And he's like, but he's not a believer. And so she's like, I told him I can see now. And he's like, just keep your cane. But she's like, but I, I talked to my mom and my mom told me actually that, that she had had a dream about me. She had had a dream about me a few weeks ago. And in that dream, she said that she saw me and I had found a family of believers that loved me so well. Uh, and that in that, that I would find my way to Jesus. And she said, and in her dream, she saw me getting baptized, not once, but twice. God had a plan in it all, right? And that through that, that God would begin to gradually restore my sight. And so she said, you know, I can't see fully yet, but I'm on my way. And I said, well, and I said, and she's like, but the challenge of it, Matt, is that I've lived 19 years seeing with my hands. And she's like, honestly, it's easier for me because that's what I'm used to. And so she's like, sometimes I find myself and I'm going around like with my eyes closed and even though God has given me sight, I'm using my hands instead of using my eyes. Now, as a seeing person, I'm like, that's ridiculous, right? Like, open your eyes. But then the Lord convicted me. He said, Matt, how often do you go around interacting with three-dimensional perception? And even though I've given you the ability to see into the fourth dimension, you continue to walk around with your eyes closed. I told you that before, I believe that we're losing. I believe that we're losing in America. And I believe it's because we're losing our minds. We're losing our minds and we're losing our ability to see into the fourth dimension. And so I wanna, I wanna challenge you today to consider regaining your mind. And what do I mean by that? Let's go to Romans chapter one. Romans chapter one, verse, I think we're gonna start in 18, and this should be on the screen, I believe, and if not, you've got a Bible with you, and if you don't, you have a lightsaber. <laughs> Romans chapter one, verse 18, it says, 
The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all godlessness and wickedness of people who suppress truth by their wickedness. Now, that's not great news to start off there, right? Like, here, here's the good news for you. The wrath of God is being revealed. And so let's put it in context a little bit because definitely Paul here is, is, is speaking about the wrath of God in the context of God's righteous judgment. And this is something where so many people in the modern church interact with the judgment of God as something that is bad. And it's not if you're trying. What I mean by that is if, if, if I'm going to participate in a sport, okay, uh, I'm competitive, my children are competitive, they like to participate in sport. How many of you guys are athletic or you're competitive? Okay, so when you get ready to play a sport that you are good at or you think you're good at and you get somebody there that says, you know what, let's just play for fun. And you're like, no, you know what's fun? Winning. We're not gonna play for fun, we're gonna play to win. Why? Because I want to be judged in this. My boys kind of got me into doing triathlons and, uh, a few years back, and so my third son, Kaysen, was, was doing his first triathlon. And he had trained really hard, like he's, he was super diligent, and so he's going out to race his first race, and, and triathlons is swim, and then it's a bike, and then it's a run, okay? And so what they do is they put like a timing chip around your ankle. It's like a little Velcro on a neoprene. And, uh, and then you go through and it like every time you cross over the, the pad, it reads the chip and it, and it clocks your time in comparison to everybody else, right? And so, so Kaysen is out there and he's nervous and he's like, he's like, he's like, dad, like, I just don't know how I'm going to do. And I said, buddy, you're just going to do your best. You're just going to do your best. Just give it, give it your all. That's all you can do. And then we'll see how it turns out once you're, once you're done with it. And so, so Kaysen starts the swim and he jumps in the water and he goes through the whole swim and he jumps out of the pool uh, to head towards the bikes. And I see that his timing chip is not on his ankle. And I look out and it's floating in the water. And so he goes through his whole first race, you know, all the swim and all the bike and all the run. And he crosses over the finish line. And he's like, how did I do? And I was like, I don't know, buddy. And he's like, well, what do you mean? And the thing is, do you think any of us, including him, were happy that he wasn't judged? No. Why? Because he was actually trying. He was giving it his best. And whenever we give it our best, we actually want to be judged. We should long for the Lord's judgment in our lives. Now, if you're not trying, yeah, then you don't want God's judgment. But if you're trying, you want God to say to you, you can do it better this way. Or if you would stop doing this and start doing this, man, it'd be so much better for you. And God is acting inside of his character and inside of his nature that he is a judge and he is actually the only righteous judge. He is the only just judge. And so instead of looking at God's judgment as though it's like earthly judgment that's unjust, that's unfair, we have to look at God and say, God, I want to be judged by you. And so this is the premise really, or this is the foundation for what we're reading here. It's not like God's like just trying to like punish people. God's judgment is good. It's righteous. And it's actually the only way that we'll find ourselves in righteous paths. And that's kind of what Romans goes on to say later. But 
but back to this, it says, so the wrath of God is being revealed from heaven, not against everybody, but against godlessness and wickedness, right? Of people who do what? Suppress truth. Suppression of truth. What does that mean to suppress truth? Well, I can think about it like a basketball in a swimming pool, okay? And so if you have a basketball in a swimming pool and you try to hold it underneath the water, right? It's gonna stay underwater as long as you keep constant pressure on it. But the moment you take the pressure off, what's gonna happen? It pops up and hits you in the nose, right? That's what truth is like in our world. Capital T truth is like the basketball that if you, if you don't wanna deal with it, you have to constantly push it underwater. Otherwise, it's gonna pop up and hit you in the face, okay? And so it says that there will be a wrath of God that will be revealed against wickedness and godlessness because there is a suppression of truth. In other words, like there's something that is not just one decision, it's constant decision to say, I'm not gonna look at that, I'm not gonna believe that, I'm not gonna focus on that, I'm gonna push it away. Does that make sense? And so it says, since what may be known about God is plain to them because God has made it plain to them. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and his divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made so that people are without excuse. In other words, God is infinite. God is powerful beyond what we could even ever recognize. God is everywhere at all times he is everything and everything that we see was created out of his infinite nature and so he says nobody has an excuse not to know me because i've given you faculties to know me points of observation you can look with your eyes and you can look at the created world you can look at the ecosystems around you and this is where I, I think farmers have a really difficult time if they try to be an atheist. You know what I mean? Because what they have to do, and actually their life depends on it, is they have to put like a little, a little thing like this in the ground, and then they just have to leave it there and hope. And then out of that, little thing springs forth something that provides for their family. Like, and it's like they, they have to be reminded all the time that they're not in control, right? And I know that like, just like in Nebraska, not every Nebraskan's a farmer and not every Iowan's a farmer, okay? So I'm not trying to say, I think I'm speaking to a bunch of farmers. I'm just trying to say, you guys know how this works, right? We, as Nebraskans and Iowans, we're around a lot of farms, okay? And so, so it's really difficult to be an atheist in that situation, right? Because God's invisible qualities and his divine nature is displayed from what has been made so nobody has an excuse not to know God. Because God has made himself evident, his divine qualities, his eternal nature, they're all around us. And whether you want to look at the outside world or even if you want to look at the inside world, if you want to look inside of yourself, the crea a created being, you can see the evidence of who God is, unless you decide, I'm going to push it away. I'm not going to look at that. I was talking with a young professional at this coffee shop in Vietnam, and uh, we were there on a missions trip, and so I sat down with this guy and was just talking to him about, about Jesus. And, and he said, oh, I'm an atheist. And I was like, oh, that's interesting. And he went on to tell me he's a civil engineer and he's working on this major bridge, bridge project outside of town, outside of, or kind of on the outskirts of Ho Chi Minh City. And I was like, that must be really difficult. He's like, what do you mean? I was like, well, being an atheist and being an engineer, 
It must be really, really difficult. He's like, well, how's that? And I said, well, because how your mind works, you, you're building a bridge, right? So you know how much time, effort, planning that went into the, the structural engineering in order to make that bridge not only be able to be built, but stand and last for generations. Like, you know how all this stuff works. That's how your mind engages. And so how is it do you look at the world around you and how it is supported and it's lasting from generation to generation and not think that there's an intelligent designer behind all that? He said... I just try to not think about it. <laughs> I just suppress truth. Now, by the end of the conversation, he said, he looked me in the eye and he said, I think someday I want to be like you. I think someday, someday I want to look up. Someday I want to look up and I want to believe and hope and I want to have faith in a God. Someday I want to be like you. And I trust that the Lord has continued his journey. But this suppression of truth, do you see that it's real? It's real in our society. And it's a blinding thing, okay? And, and out of it, what I believe is the suppression of truth, we are actually losing our minds. We're losing a capacity that God has gave us to perceive him. Now, God is an infinite God, and, and, and we could say that none of us could truly perceive all of who God is, right? Because it would be, it like blow our minds, right? It actually would probably make them explode, okay? But God has given us faculties or capacities for which we can observe him. And then we can only observe him through those faculties or capacities. And so we can observe the, the three-dimensional world, right? And we can say that we can perceive it through through seeing and through hearing and through smelling and through touching. We have five senses that we can perceive the three-dimensional world. And we would call that world real, right? But what about do we have more perception than just five senses? that can detect something that's real. Let me ask you the question, are emotions real? Okay, and all the women would say absolutely. They're absolutely real and the guys are like, yeah, I guess so, I guess so. So emotions are real, right? But can you feel them with your fingers? Can you see them with your eyes? No, there is a perception that is beyond the three-dimensional world. And, and what I would put before you is that perception or that reality is a higher reality. In the same way that I would say, if we had a painting of a landscape that was in front of you today, I would say that it is less real in two dimension than the landscape itself, right? And just because you could touch it while it was here doesn't mean it makes it more real than the landscape. It's just the landscape is more real because it has depth, it has multiplicity, it has movement, right? And so you add dimensions to something, that thing becomes more real. And so the way it says it in Hebrews, it says, don't you know that all of the created things, all of the visible world, they came, it came out of the invisible world. And it was brought from invisible to visible by the voice of God. It was brought from reality to three dimension. And so as followers of Christ, if you didn't know it, you believe in at least four dimensions. And actually, you believe, if you believe the Bible, you believe that the fourth dimension is more real than any of the others. And this is where, as the church of Jesus Christ, we've got to quit interacting with church as though it's three-dimensional. Because all we're doing is going around blind. 
and we're not perceiving the world around us. And we've got all these things. We stick up the picture of the mind real quick. So neuroscientists would generally tell us this is what's happening in our brain, right and left side. Okay, so the right side, uh, you have imagination, feeling, creativity, that's where you process relationships and emotion, it's arts, it's intuition, uh, all of that. On the left-hand side, that's analysis, logic, ideas, facts. Language is also over there, math and training. Uh, and so what we're doing, generally speaking, in the modern Western church world, is we're just assigning things to the left side of their brains. And I'm not just talking about here, I'm talking, you get together at pastor's conferences, it's like, let's strategize. Let's logic about this thing. And it's like, it, that's the left side of your brain. And then we come into services like this, and here's a three-point deductive proof. And then we say, do you agree with that? And it's language, and it's logic, and it's assigned to the left side of your brain. And then we say, yeah, I agree with that. And then we leave here and then we say, my life isn't changed by it. Why? Well, because it's half-brained. And we're actually losing our minds. And then we say, oh, discipleship. Well, what is discipleship? Well, there's so many in the modern church that would say, well, discipleship is training. Discipleship is memorization. Left side, left side, training, memorization. That's all left side of the brain. But what about this? In our culture, we would say, generally, this is not real. Even our education system that we're putting our children through is saying, this is real. If you can't prove it, if it's not science, if it's not logical, it's not real. And you're crazy if you believe this stuff. Do you see it? And we're allowing our, our kids' minds to be lost because everything's focused on the left side of our brains and it's that this is real. Now neuroscientists would tell you actually the right side of your brain is a higher brain function. It's actually a higher brain function and so we are neglecting the higher brain function. What I would, what I would put before you and, and you can argue with me about this later, I'm not gonna have time to support it today, okay? What I would say to you is that the baptism of the Holy Spirit is actually the awakening of the right side of your brain. That it's like when it says, wake up you sleeper and rise from the dead for the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. The awe and wonder, awe and wonder is not in the left side of your brain, it's in the right side of your brain. And even if we take the gifts of the spirit, like discernment, what is discernment if it's not godly intuition? Like all of these things over here, faith. Do you believe that faith is essential to please God? Okay, that's what the Word of God says about it, right? What is faith? Faith is hope combined together with action or with certainty. And so what's happening in our society is we are actually losing our hope. Or I would say it's not even just being deadened. I think it's being hijacked. Our hope is being hijacked. Our what if is broken. And if you don't believe this, think back to what happened during COVID. And I'm not trying to say what happened during COVID in the secular world. I'm talking about what happened in the quote unquote sacred world. And our what if was broken. It was proven. Because people were waking up every day and saying, man, what if this happens? And what if we're shut down? And what if this? And what if that? And it's like the imagination is being hijacked to think of what is the worst case scenario. And then how do I inter interact with that imagination as though it's true until it actually becomes true? 
Now, how many of you guys have ever had a panic attack? And you might not want to admit to it, but you know that they're real, okay? You've had anxiety, and you would say that it's real, right? And so we've got a society. Listen, there's, I think in America right now, about one in three people are being diagnosed with a mental illness. One in three people in America are being diagnosed with a mental illness. On the campus, it's rampant. The people that deal with depression and anxiety, you know what anxiety is? It's actually the anti-faith. It's when this part of your brain gets hijacked by the enemy, and instead of imagining a good or a God scenario, it's imagining the worst scenario, and then interacting with that as though it's real until it becomes real. And those same people would look at me as a person of faith and say, you're crazy because you believe in what's not real. Because I think, what does God want to do here? What if God showed up? Just over this last year and a half, my wife was diagnosed with cancer. And I'm telling you, it was one of the greatest things that happened to our family. Because our what if wasn't broken. And so we weren't, what if this happens? And what if this happens? It's going to be bad, 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 bad. And it wasn't even a, what if there's just healing that comes in the natural world? Because like, we are not supposed to be bound to this natural world. Our, our what if, it's, if it's restricted to three dimensions, it's still broken. And so what if she dies? God is still good. God is still faithful. And what marked my wife and our family through that whole time was actually gratitude. Because our what if wasn't broken. And we've got to reclaim our minds. So this is what Romans goes on to say about, I can't remember where we stopped off, but if we can put it back on the screen. For although they knew God, Really in that is saying, although they had the opportunity to know God, like God had made himself evident, remember, so nobody had an excuse not to know God. So for although they knew God, it says they neither glorified him as God, they didn't give him his place. They, they didn't put him and say, well, God, you are God and I am not. They instead said, God, you can be this and then I'm going to be God of my own life, right? So although they glorified him as God, neither glorified him as God, nor gave thanks to him or had gratitude that flowed out of them, it says, but their thinking became what? Futile. Their thinking became futile. And it says their foolish hearts were darkened. Now, what I believe is I believe that the right side of your brain is what the Bible would call your heart. And the reason why I say that is because even, even our, in, our, in our world, if somebody says to you, make a decision with your heart, they're not talking about that thing that pumps blood in your chest, right? It's like, okay, uh, how, how do I decide with that? What they're saying is make a decision on the basis of emotion or intuition or hope or relationship, right? Make a decision with your heart. And if the right side of your brain is where that happens, then that is your heart. And really, if you follow through scripture, like everything that's talked about that is heart is actually what neuroscientists would say happens in the right side of your brain. And so if, if that is going to be darkened, and this is where I believe that we're at, like there is light that God wants to bring into our lives and then through our lives, but instead we have a suppression of truth and our minds are being darkened. And our thinking is became futile. In other words, it's cyclical. And if you try to have a conversation with somebody that's like, oh, no, science is real and this is the only real stuff. And then you start talking about truth and it's like, and truth is relative. 
so science is real and what you can prove and that, but then, but then truth is relative. Like if that's not a futility of thinking, right? Like it's a thinking that has no traction. It doesn't get you anywhere. It's just like, what? And their foolish hearts are darkened because there's a suppression of truth. How do we and how have we suppressed truth? Because I believe this is not just where the, se- the secular world is. I believe that this is where the sacred world is. And this is where we have to welcome God's judgment on us. Because if we're losing, it's not God's fault. Do you hear that? And we can't be looking up to heaven and say, God, fix it. Or God, come and, and do your work. Because what the Bible says is God's work is already done. In fact, the way that Hebrews goes on to describe it is it says that Jesus completed the work on the cross and he's just sitting back waiting for a footstool. He said, I'm just waiting for you to bring my enemies and make a footstool for me. I've already accomplished it all. And we got to stop sitting here saying, oh, but we just need your Holy Spirit. And, and it's like, well, that was poured out 2,000 years ago. Why don't you just use it? Instead of saying like, well, we need lightning to strike here. Well, what if, what if you are the agent of, the, of, of the, the heavens coming to this earth in a lightning strike? But we've got to have our minds awakened. We've got to reclaim them and we've got to stop suppressing them. So a couple of things that, actually, let's keep on with this and I'm going to come back to this. So it says, all they, although they claim to be wise, and this is what we got a lot of, and if, if you're not seeing this inside of our culture, then then I would ask you to open up your eyes and look around a little bit. But it says that although they claimed to be wise, they became fools. And they exchanged the glory of the immortal God for, what does that say? Images. For all they, though they knew God and God gave them access to him, it says they traded the glory of the immortal God for images. And I know that we kind of look in our society and we say, Oh man, well, we don't have any Buddhist statues right in our home. And I've been in homes where there's shrines and there's lights and they, they come in and, and they, they all kind of, when they come into their living room, it's all centered around this thing that's lights and it's like this image. But we don't ever do that, right? We have not traded the glory of God for images or have we? You know what these are? They're image makers. They actually make, I think it's 60 images every second. I think that's the refresh rate on one of these. 60 images every second. And then what we do is we set up our living rooms, not around a shrine of Buddha, but your living room is probably set up around a shrine that pumps garbage into your house. And it's called a television. Is it true? And what's happening? We're losing our minds. We're actually losing our imagination and creativity. Do you know that when you watch television and movies, you have less brain activity than you do when you're sleeping? Isn't that wild? Less brain activity than you do when you're sleeping. And then we're raising a generation on these things. The average American, I think right now, I think the stats are the average American spends uh, 11 hours and 40 minutes a day in front of a screen. I know some of you say, well, I I work in front of a computer, and yeah, fair enough. But there's a lot of that that's getting done that's not work, right? And 11 hours and 40 minutes a day, that's like, that's more than a full-time job. And we're not even getting paid for it. 
Actually, maybe we are. Maybe the wages that we're getting is death. Maybe that's where we're getting paid for it. Maybe it's paying death into our families. Maybe that's why we have so much mental illness. Maybe that's why we have so much addiction. Maybe it's because we're getting paid. Because we continue to suppress truth. These things are aimed straight at our heart, at the right side of our mind. They're actually, they're, they're connected to supercomputers that are aimed at the right side of your mind. And they're trying to control you. They're trying to control your family. They're trying to control your belief system. They're trying to control your behavior. They're trying to control your children. And until we're ready to say, I'm, I'm not going to trade the glory of God for images, we will continue to go around blind. And we'll continue to go around as half-brained Christians that say that we believe something and then don't act accordingly. Incidentally, my, my image maker has, has an emblem on the back of it, which is pretty interesting. Uh, did, you see that emblem? What did, do you guys have an emblem on the back of yours or is this just mine? Mine has an emblem on it. It's, it looks like an apple with a bite out of it. That reminds me of something. How about you? And yet we're blind. Every day, blind. Just blind. We've got to stop suppressing truth. We're losing our minds. Our fut- There's a thinking inside of us that's became futile. There's a darkness that's covering over our hearts, and God wants to awaken us. Now, Kara lived 19 years in black. We might be raising a generation that has now lived 19 years in utter darkness. And we've got to do something about it. We've got to do something different. And it's not just these, okay? It's not just the images that are coming through the screens. Like, like even, even what's happening with drugs, so whether, whether you talk about legal drugs or illegal drugs, I don't really care. It's all just drugs, okay? And, the, and there is a suppression of truth that's happening through drugs. I don't know if you've seen the more recent studies, but like there's, there's I'm not talking like in a magazine or on the internet. I'm talking medical journals that have meta studies. In other words, a study of a lot of studies that are saying that, that the correlation between mental illness and chemical imbalance has never been proven. There is no, listen, there is no medical evidence for the correlation between chemical imbalance in your brain and mental illness. How many of you guys have heard that for probably 20 to 30 years and believed it? And so therefore, if you have a mental illness, let's pump some chemicals into your brain, starting with, way back, it was serotonin. And, and that like is actually... Pretty, pretty much a lame puppy in comparison to what the more controlling antipsychotic drugs that are going into our kids' brains and into our brains. And you know what they're doing? They're manipulating the right side of people's minds. Serotonin basically deadens your feelings. And so, yes, some people find some relief because they feel less depression, less sadness, but because they feel less of everything. And how much longer are we going to continue 
as the church to say, you know what, let's just continue to pump chemicals into our hearts and expect them to be healthy. Do you hear it? Do you see it? Goes on to say in verse 24, therefore God gave them over in sinful desire, in the sinful desires of their heart to sexual impurity. This is the impact, okay? This is the impact if we trade the glory of the immortal God for images. This is the impact, you ready? God gave them over to sinful desires of their heart, to sexual impurity, for the degrading of their bodies with one another. Is that happening in our society? 100%, right? They exchanged the truth about God for a lie, and they worship created things rather than the creator who is forever praised. Because of this, God gave them over to shameful lusts. It says even their women exchanged natural sexual relations for unnatural ones. Is that happening? Absolutely. In the same way, the men also abandoned natural relations with women and were inflamed with lust for one another. Men committed shameful acts with other men and received in themselves a due penalty for their error. Is that happening? It says, furthermore, just as they did not think it worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God. Did you hear that? Because they didn't think it worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God. That word knowledge is not about, is, is not about a left brain function, okay? Knowledge, when it's being used right here, is the same way that I would say I know my wife in a way that none of you know my wife. I know her. I don't just know her name or where she's from. Like, I know her. I know her inside and out. I know her intimately. And this is where God has offered us an intimacy with him. Kind of interesting, you know, facial recognition, okay? Although memory happens on the right side of your, or sorry, left side of your brain, facial recognition happens on the, on the right side of your brain. Why? Because faces have such a multiplicity uh, of expression, but also you can see them from, so even when you think you remember somebody's face, okay, uh, you actually are probably remembering or you have a, a picture of, of a picture of them, okay? Like a, you have a two-dimensional image. And so facial recognition actually requires creativity. And so God has offered us, and, and if, if you look through the Old Testament, there's this thing that gets, it gets translated in a lot of the translations is we've gotta be in the presence of God. But actually what it says is we, it says we need to see the face of God. And there's a lot of knowledge about God that, that is in the church. But I wonder if we've lost our knowing him just to sit and to see his face, to recognize him. And this is something that I, I know Drew is, is about and is leading in. It's like something that is all a part of who you guys are. Like I can, I can see it, I can feel it. It's like, no, we wanna, we wanna actually look at the face of God. We want to be in awe and wonder. And so you guys are, you guys are ahead, okay? Uh, you, you're getting, you gotta jump on it, right? Uh, but I believe that there's more. And so it doesn't just stop with the knowledge of God. It says, for, furthermore, just as they did not think it worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God, so God gave them over to a depravity of mind. So they did do what ought not to be done. And this ought has to do with an ethic, okay? And so we, we kind of use these two words almost interchangeably probably within the church that is ethics and morality. And we say, yeah, it's kind of the same thing, but it's actually not. Uh, 
They're, they both are based in Latin, uh, and ethic has to do with an ethos or what ought to be, and it's a, it's a static, it's a static ought to be, and it's associated with with something that is unchanging. Okay, which what for us that is the character and nature of God. But what we've become within the church is we've become a moral people, not an ethical people. And morality is based in the, the root word more, which is behavior. And so what we, what we have done is we've looked at the world around us and the culture around us, and we've said, in relationship to the world's behavior, we're gonna be a little bit different. Instead of being ethical and saying, God, who are you? And that's who we're gonna be. And we're gonna be static in that. And we're not gonna go to sleep with a whore of relevancy. And I believe the whore of relevancy is something that's deeply impacted our modern church. We're just trying so hard to be relevant. And then we're, we're chasing culture. When God said, I want you to set culture. Stop chasing the culture and set culture. This is what God has made us for. And he's made it for us first in our own homes. And if we would start setting culture in our own homes instead of letting the devices set the culture for us. And if we as men would stand up and say, you know what, I have responsibility to be the priest of my home and that's not just taking my kids to church. It means I've gotta, I've gotta be Christ in the home. It's ours to do. And if we do it, I'm telling you, we'd win. If we'd set culture in our homes, then we came to, when we come together like this, there would be a rich culture among us and there would be a culture that would be so strong that the whole city of Ames would be like, I don't know what's going on there, but it's healthy and it's, it's holistic and it's like those people can see and they're alive. And when I, when I talk to them, you know what? They're not holding grudges against one another. Instead, they're hopeful. They don't talk about how bad the world is. They talk about how good God is and they're not wrapped up in this world of depression anxiety they have peace and they have hope and I want to be around them in fact it's magnetic to me and if we'd set a different culture if we'd stop suppressing truth there would be a knowing or an intimacy of God that would produce something wholly different it says furthermore just so they did not think it sorry we'll go ahead sure 29 uh, yeah ought to be done you're perfect you're, you're <laughs> you should be up here preaching they become filled with every kind of wickedness, evil, greed, and depravity. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, malice. They are gossips, slanders, God-haters, insolent, arrogant, boastful, and they invent ways of doing evil. Is that our society? And especially, is that the society that is the virtual one? In other words, when you get on the virtual world, is that not what it is? I mean, look at it. Like, and I don't care if you're on Instagram or TikTok or Facebook or however you, or, or uh, Twitter or whatever it is, or X now or whatever, like whatever it is, like this is what it is. And yet we continue to wash our minds in it and think that we're gonna come out the other side holy and say, well, it doesn't really affect me. It affects you. And you're losing your mind because of it. Evil, greed, depravity, they're full of envy, murder, and strife, deceit, and malice. They are gossips, slanders, God-haters, insolent, arrogant, boastful. They invent ways of doing evil. That creativity side of us, that God made to dream and to hope for what he wants to do, 
So many people look and they say, oh, look at the world around us. How could God do this? And why is God letting this happen? And I think God's up in heaven saying, I never thought of it. Why is there so much evil, God? Like, I never thought of it. He's saying, I gave you the ability to invent, you the ability to create. You've misused your creative nature that I put inside of you, and you're inventing ways to do evil that I never thought of. And we've got to recapture our imaginations. We've got to recapture our hopes. How's that going to happen? Let's let's go to the go to the last picture. I think that I have up there. I got to wrap up real quick. Uh, go to the picture, last picture of the brain. Uh, maybe one before that. There it is, right there. Okay. So what happens in the right side of your brain? This is how it goes. And and what neuroscientists would tell us is that that you process all information from the back to the front of your right side of your brain first. Okay, that means before you think you're thinking, you're actually thinking. In other words, before you could ever process one word, you've already processed through several filters. The first one is identity. The thing that you think six times every second is you think, who am I? And you filter everything through the lens of who am I? But it's actually not individual identity that you process. It's, it's communal identity. And so whoever you believe that your people are, and whether you claim that as I'm a carpenter, that's my last name, that's my people group, or whether you claim that as a race and say, well, I'm white and that's my people, or whether you claim that as like I play a sport and so I'm a baseball player, that's my people, whatever it is, that people group and however many people groups you claim will shape then your behavior. And it doesn't matter if you say I believe these things over on the left side of your brain, your behavior will be shaped by who you are and who you believe that you are. And this is why it is essential that we stop as the church thinking we're gonna accomplish something by meeting together. We have to become a people group. We've gotta stop fighting for individualism and fight for interdependence. And if we would start forming better people groups, it's not just like I attend this church at this time in this place, but instead this is who I am because this is who we are, maybe we can see a change in the world. And maybe we could see a change in our own homes, in our own, in our own lives. So it starts with identity, which then flows out of that into relationship. Uh, that is, we, we have to get rid of all kinds of unforgiveness among us. We are living in an offense-based society that is actually now assigning, or assigning value to people on the basis of their offense. That is what critical theory is doing. It's saying, if you can find a place where you've been offended, then you receive more value in our society, and then you can go around telling people how they've offended you, and you can kind of control your world with that and control then their response to you in that. But that's not who we are. As the people of God, we are not those who carry offense. In fact, what God says is, if as my child you have been forgiven and you don't forgive somebody else, then I will put you in a place of torture. And so why are we so tortured in the right side of our brains? It's because God has said, because you will not forgive, I'm going to allow Satan to torture you. And then we want to medicate to torture. When instead we could just step into freedom just by forgiveness. Do you see it? Do you see it? So image and imitation, this is where discipleship is essential. And discipleship is not training. Discipleship is image and imitation. In the right side of our brain, we, are, we process six images every second as well. That means before you can ever process a word, you've already processed six images. And so the most shaping thing to me in my life was living, with Dick, living around Dick Schroeder because I saw an image that I could imitate. 
And the word came alive to me. There was an incarnation. The word became flesh. What God was unable to do, quote, unquote, unable to do by sending the perfect law. That's the way the word talks about, right? What the law was powerless to do and it was weakened by the sinful nature, God did by sending his son, by sending an incarnation, by resetting the image that we are meant to imitate. And then what God wants us to do is imitate imitate the image of Christ and then others can imitate us and then they become like Christ. This is what discipleship is. Do you see it? Last one, creativity and imagination. We gotta reclaim them. And I mean everything from, from anxiety and fear those cannot control the people of God. What John says is if God's love and intimacy with God is made perfect or complete inside of you, you will fear nothing. It says there will be an absence of fear in your life. You will not worry. You will not be anxious about anything. As the people of God, if we are worrying and we are anxious, it's because God's love has not yet been made perfect in us. But that doesn't mean that it cannot be. It just means that it needs to be, right? And we also, we have to start reclaiming our minds from being hijacked in lust or in greed. Do you see that lust is actually the manipulation of your imagination? Do you see that greed is the manipulation of your imagination? And instead of imagining how can I make the next dollar and how can I get the next thing, what if we started imagining into the fourth dimension? Well, what, what if, God, what if I applied myself to something eternal, what would you build? We've got to start reclaiming our imagination. And in that, we've got to become a, a more creative people. And I don't mean just with arts and music, although Hollywood should not be the best producer of things. Okay? And, and you, you see, do you see the, the absence of creativity that's taking over, over Hollywood even? Like, they can't even come up with a new idea. They're, they're remaking Barbie. You know, like... I mean, they, they, they can't even come up with a new movie. I mean, like, one of the best movies that's came out lately is Top Gun. And it's like, well, that's just a repeat, you know? Like, you, you couldn't even come up with a new idea. Just remake them, right? Like, they're losing their creativity. And God has put something in us that is meant to be imaginative and creative, to imagine this is what God can do. And this is where we've got to rescue our what if. Our what if as the people of God cannot be broken or else we will not be people of faith. And I'm out of time. Can we stand together? My hope is that in your mind, in your heart, there are points of action. And we can call this place the place of altar if we want to, but it's actually inaccurate. This is not the altar. Altar was a place where you made sacrifice. And what I believe is you will never alter AR, right? There's two different spellings of altar, and one of them is AR, that means the place of sacrifice. You will never alter AR. You will never sacrifice something before God until you're ready to alter ER, something in your life. And so my hope is that all of us would have things that we are going to do when we go home to alter our lives. This has been the LifePoint Church Sermon of the Week. For more resources, visit us at lifepoint.cc.